Bibles now, if you'd open up with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And if you're joining us for the first time, God bless you. Great to have you here. We're currently going through a series of studies on the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And tonight, we're going to begin by considering the gifts of the Spirit, part one. The gifts of the Spirit. But 1 Corinthians chapter 12, in verse 1, is where we will begin. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. The letter to the church in Corinth may have been one of the most difficult letters for the Apostle Paul to write. And the reason was because it was a letter of correction. In the introduction of the letter, Paul commends the church in several areas, one of which was spiritual gifts. He says in verse 4, thank, I thank God always concerning you for the grace which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything, by him in all utterance and all knowledge, and even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, verse 7, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Within the Corinthian congregation, the gifts of the Spirit were in operation. However, they were ignorant of how to use them properly. Consequently, some were actually abusing the gifts, using them out of order, were drawing attention to themselves, and they were creating confusion within the fellowship. As we look at the church today, there still appears to be a lack of understanding concerning what the gifts of the Holy Spirit are and the way in which they are to operate within the church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, in verse 40, Paul said, let all things be done decently and in order. In some churches, you either have all things being done or you have decently and in order. But the scriptures actually presents a balanced approach. And I believe that if we would follow the biblical guidelines that are clearly mapped out in Scripture. We would avoid confusion, and we would not have this overarching concern concerning abuses of the gifts. Why is there so much misunderstanding and confusion concerning the gifts of the Holy Spirit? I suggest to you that some have not been taught what the Bible says concerning the gifts of the Holy Spirit. There are those perhaps who would teach through 1 Corinthians and quickly jump over chapter 12 into 13. Let's talk about love. Let's skip over chapter 14 and let's close the book with chapter 15. I mean, they'll just skip it. Or there are others who would teach and seek to explain or suggest that the gifts have been done away with. 
that there is no longer a need for them. That there was a time within the church when the gifts were in operation. That was during the apostolic age. However, we, we don't have need of that now because they say we have the complete canon of scripture and therefore we have all that we need right here. Those were for a particular time, but not for today. Folks, the good news is that God gives us the clear guideline and the proper use of spiritual gifts in his word. We don't have to be ignorant any longer. Paul did not say to the church that they were to ignore the gifts. He said, don't be ignorant about them. He never implied that they were to overlook them as if they didn't exist at all, that they were for only a particular time, but now they were done away with and no longer needed. That's not here in the context of scripture where it talks about the gifts. The church in Corinth was definitely abusing the gifts, but keep this in mind. This church, when Paul's writing this letter, it had been in existence for close to 25 years after Pentecost. So the gifts were still in operation 25 years after the fact. Paul's not saying, hey guys, stop doing that. Those aren't, what are you doing? Those are done, stop that. He's saying, exercise them properly in the right way. In writing to the church, Paul was concerned about the misuse of the gifts. Someone once said, quote, the true gifts of the Holy Spirit when manifested in a scriptural and correct way will always focus people's hearts on Jesus Christ. This is the chief way by which you can tell whether any gift is a true manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Is there a great deal of attention drawn to the person exercising the gift or to the person of Jesus Christ? Why has God given gifts of the Spirit to the church? First of all, very simply, he loves his children. He loves his kids. If you're a parent, if you're a grandparent, I know for me there are things that I enjoy. I enjoy blessing my kids. I like to see them enjoy being blessed, and it blesses me. I'm encouraged by that. Listen, the Bible tells us, Ephesians chapter four, verses seven and eight, here's what it says. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and he gave gifts to men. The Bible tells us in James, in chapter one, in verse 17, where these gifts come from. James declared every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation nor shadow of turning. In the gospel according to Luke, in chapter 11, Jesus declared, if a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? Instead of a fish, or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father, notice this, give, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Why has God given us these gifts? Because he loves us. 
because he wants to bless us. That's the first reason why he's given us the gifts. Another reason why he's given us these gifts is to draw attention to Jesus. You remember Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would be drawing men to Jesus, that he would be glorifying Jesus. When the gifts are in operation, the purpose ultimately is to draw people to Jesus. You remember Jesus said, John chapter 15 and verse 26, he said, when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me, Jesus said. The Spirit of God is always going to be drawing attention to Christ. That's his emphasis. He's going to point people to Jesus. And so if you see more emphasis on the Holy Spirit and less emphasis on Jesus, the work of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit are to point people, to bring people to the awareness of who Jesus is. That's his job. That's what the Bible says. In the Old Testament, there's a wonderful picture of the gifts being given to a bride, which in turn draw attention to the groom. It's in Genesis, Genesis 24. Maybe you recall that story. It's when Abraham sent out his servant to go and find a bride for Isaac. And so the servant, you remember, he made a covenant with Abraham and he set out on his journey and he, the servant was praying and saying, Lord, when I, when I find the one, let her you know, give water to my camels and give me water. And, and he had this whole scenario planned out, asking God to fulfill these different things so that he would know that this was the right girl. And that's a big, I mean, there's no pictures that she can't see him. He can't see her. I mean, there's a lot of trust here. The father, Abraham, enlists the servant to go find a bride for the groom, who is Isaac. The father is seeking a bride for the son. Now, you remember in Genesis 25, it says this. Now, Rebekah had a brother whose name was Laban. And Laban ran out to the man by the well. What happened is when he finally saw Rebekah, she did everything he asked the Lord to confirm that it was his will. Gave the camels water, gave him water, did the whole thing. And when it happened, he knew that it was the Lord. And suddenly he put bracelets on her wrists, gave her a ring for her nose. This was the girl. And so her brother comes out, Laban, and he saw the man by the well. Verse 30, so it came to pass when he saw, look at this, the nose ring was a gift and the bracelets on his sister's wrists. When he heard the words of his sister Rebekah saying, thus the man spoke to me, that he went to the man and there he stood by the camels at the well and said, come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I, I've prepared a house and a place for the camels. Listen to me. When Laban came out, and he saw the bride adorned with the gifts. It opened his eyes to the reality of who the groom was. That's the point, folks. We, we are given these gifts that God imparts to us by his spirit in order that people could see the gifts and not glorify us or be drawn to us but be drawn to Jesus. 
That's the reason why the gifts are given. But another reason why the gifts are given, check this out. (laughs) We need them. We need them. There are certain things that we are involved with that are spiritual in nature, and we don't manufacture those in and of ourselves. We need something imparted to us from heaven. We need something that God gives, not something that man generates, not something that man comes up with on his own. We need the gifts in order to operate in different areas of the Christian life. Certainly in ministry, I am extremely grateful for the giftings of the Holy Spirit. I see my lack and I understand my need and I'm thankful that God provides. The gifts are there because we need them. Now, in verse three of chapter 12, look at what it says. Verse four, rather. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4. Paul goes on to say, Now there are diversities, but the same Spirit. There are diversities or differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. A couple words that I want to make mention here. Notice diversities and differences. Paul declares concerning these giftings of the Spirit that there is diversity within the gifts. And what you'll find in this chapter is he lists some nine different gifts, and these gifts are supernaturally given by the Lord to his people to be used for his glory. We don't all have the same gift. There is diversity in the gifts that we have. And by the way, here in 1 Corinthians 12, this isn't the exhaustive list of the giftings. You have Romans chapter 12. You also have Ephesians chapter 4. There are other lists of giftings. But this is the one here in 1 Corinthians 12. And the Lord bestows these giftings, but they are diverse and different. When it speaks of differences, it means variety. They all have the same source, They're from the Holy Spirit. But not all have the exact same gift. And with the differences, they can sometimes manifest themselves in different ways in different people's lives. Yet they are to complement one another, not compete with one another. Two people, for example, may have the same gift imparted to them from the Spirit of God. But the way in which they use that gift or how the Lord works through them with that gift may be different from the other person. They both receive the gift from the Lord, but the way in which they exercise it is different, or there is diversity, and that's okay. There can still be unity in that. It's just a different operation of the same gift. God uses your personality, uses my personality, and he gives us certain gifts in order that we can use them for, again, for his glory. But there is diversity. There's also diversity in operations, not just diversities in the gifts, but diversity in operations of those gifts. I know how a particular gift operates in my life, but that doesn't mean that it will operate the same way in your life. I believe that the Lord fits us with those gifts that he desires us to have, and they manifest themselves differently in each individual life. Think about it, folks. Every child is different. And if you have more than one, you know that it's so. Same parents, totally different children, 
Like, what? It's just different. They have different gifts, different strengths, different ways in which God uses them and develops them. And such it is with God's kids in the body of Christ. There is diversity and difference, but that's not a bad thing. Notice that he also mentions that these gifts are actually for the benefit of all. These gifts that we are given are not given for personal profit, but to bless the body of Christ. There is a danger. The danger of taking the gifts that God gives us and using them for ourselves instead of for him. That's a dangerous thing to do. There's really only one gift, by the way, that is given to edify yourself personally, just one. It's unique to all the others. In fact, I'm gonna spend one entire study on this particular gift. Guess what it is? You guessed it, the gift of tongues. It is unique to all the other gifts in that it benefits primarily the individual where the other gifts bless the body corporately. But the gift of tongues primarily benefits the person individually. Look at these gifts. It says in verse eight, for to one is given the word of wisdom through the spirit, to another, the word of knowledge through the same spirit, to another, faith by the same spirit, to another, gifts of healings by the same spirit, to another, the working of miracles, to another, prophecy, to another, discerning of spirits, to another, different kinds of tongues, to another, the interpretation of of tongues, different gifts distributed to different individuals. He lists nine gifts. And as we consider them, you could actually divide them into three categories. The first, the discerning gifts. That is the power to know, the discerning gifts. The operation in this category would include the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, and the discerning of spirits. The ability to know. Secondly, you have what would be the dynamic gifts. That is the power to do, which would include the gift of faith, miracles, and healings. These are supernatural, dynamic operations given by the Spirit of God at various times in various situations as the need arises. And then you have the declarative gifts, which would include Prophecy, speaking forth the word of God. You have the gift of tongues and, of course, the interpretation of tongues. This is the power to speak. So the discerning gifts, that's the power to know. The dynamic gifts, the power to do. And then you have the declarative gifts, that's the power to speak. The giftings of the Spirit. Now, a question that so often comes up is which is the best gift? Which one should I pray for? Which gift is the best? To answer that question, you would have to say it depends on the job that you're doing. Which gift is the best? You may have different tools in a toolbox. One particular tool applies to one particular job. You don't use that tool for this job and you don't use that tool for this job. It depends on what the need is And whatever the need is, whatever the gifting is, will be the best one for that circumstance or that scenario or that need. Of course, I believe the greatest gift is love. 
Because you can have all of these gifts in operation like they did in Corinth, but don't have love, it profits you nothing. As we discuss these gifts, we'll see when they are best used. First of all, let's consider together the word of wisdom. Word of wisdom. It says in verse 8, For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. Now there is a difference between wisdom and knowledge. They're not the same thing. Knowledge is the accumulation of fact, while wisdom is the proper application of the fact. Knowledge says the stove is hot. Wisdom says don't touch it. These are two different things. Unfortunately, you may come across those who have a great amount of knowledge, but they lack wisdom. The Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So if you don't fear the Lord, you're not even at the beginning of it. I point that out to say we observe today, even in our culture, those who are brilliant, brilliant-minded scientists who embrace evolution. They're not as intelligent as the papers on their wall say they are. To deny the existence of God, you're not that intelligent. I didn't say that. God actually said it. God said in his word, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So it doesn't matter what hangs on your wall, what accolades you've received, what achievements you have. If you deny the existence of God, heaven says you're a fool and you wasted a lot of money on that particular education. I mean, it's just you, you blew it. You missed it. You're not that smart. Folks, listen, there are a lot of brilliant people in hell tonight who denied the existence of God. And there are many brilliant people on their way there tonight who deny the existence of God and reject the gospel. The fear of the Lord, Psalm 111, verse 10, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and good understanding have all those who keep his commandments. Without the fear of the Lord, we haven't even reached the beginning of wisdom. But the Bible teaches that beyond wisdom in general, listen to this, there is a gift of wisdom that comes from the Holy Spirit, the word of wisdom. The word of wisdom is not a reservoir that I can draw upon anytime I want. You might come to me, Pastor John, what do you think about this? Hold on. Let me tap into the word of wisdom for a second here. It's not like that. Some reservoir that you can just pull from. Rather, it's the anointing of the spirit that comes upon you in a time of need and gives you the right words to say. It's not you. It didn't come from you. It came from the Lord. When the word of wisdom is properly used, it can give clear direction. I think of the Old Testament in First um, Kings chapter 3. You remember when Solomon came to the throne? His great concern was, how am I going to lead these people? I, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to go out. I don't know how to come in. And you remember what he said? He asked the Lord for wisdom, offered sacrifice after sacrifice, and he prayed, Lord, give me wisdom. He didn't ask for money. He didn't ask for anything. He just said, Lord, give me wisdom how to lead your people. I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. 
And the Lord was pleased with his request. And he not only gave him wisdom, he gave him all the things he didn't ask for. And Solomon's wisdom was put to the test. Not long after he had taken the throne, two women came and stood before him. And both of them were mothers that had children. And that evening, both of these women had gone to sleep. One mother had actually accidentally smothered her child and it died. The other mother, her baby was alive. But in the middle of the night, the mother who accidentally had smothered her child took the baby and switched them. And in the morning, when the mother woke up, seeing a child beside her that was no longer living, she knew that it was not her child. Moms know their own baby. And they brought the child before King Solomon. And they were debating, it's my child. No, it's my child. It's my child. And, and right in the midst of that, Solomon says, bring me a sword. Divide him right here. And one woman said, great. That's a great idea. Do it. The other, who was the actual mother, said, don't. And Solomon recognized that's the mom. I mean, just a word of wisdom in that moment to know how to discern what was right. I think in the New Testament, there was more than one occasion when Jesus was confronted by the religious leaders. And they seek to cause him to stumble over his words. You remember they came to him usually with a scenario that would ensnare him. Jesus, we have a question for you about taxes. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or isn't it? Wow, that's incriminating because the Jews hated the fact that the Romans taxed them. They had a tax that you had to pay for your life. We're going to let you live, but we're going to tax you so that we, just so you know we let you live. So when you pay that tax, that's, that's the tax to let you live. Oh, that just infuriated them to no end. They hated Roman oppression. So if Jesus said, yes, pay it, the people would turn on him. At the same time, Rome was in charge. So if Jesus said, don't pay it, they could say, got him. He's an insurrectionist. He's causing rebellion. He's telling us not to pay taxes to Caesar. Crucify him. They thought they had him on the horns of a dilemma. Jesus, so wise. Word of wisdom says, let me have a coin. Anybody got a coin? Jesus didn't have one, by the way. He had to borrow one. And so they gave him a coin. And he said, hey, whose inscription is on this? And you remember they responded? Caesar's. And Jesus said, well then, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. This has Caesar's image on it. Give that to Caesar. But who has God's image on them? The Bible says we were created in the image of God. You give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give yourself to God. And they were dumbfounded. Sadducees came, asked them this crazy question about marriage and divorce. Okay, let's say Jesus, for example, that this lady got married and then she married this guy. And then after that, like he, you know, he died. And then she married his brother because, you know, according to Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, then he was supposed to take a name, make, you know, raise up a name for his brother. And then the next brother died. And then she, he had another brother and then they got married. And then he goes through like 10 brothers and this lady went through the family. Like, check her recipes. This is not good. But when it was all done, 
remember what happened. They said, Jesus, in the resurrection, whose wife is she going to be? Ha, <laughs> we got you. They didn't believe in the resurrection, first of all. So they thought they had him. Was she going to be a wife to all of them in heaven? They'd probably be like, if that was, no, we're good. We don't, we're good. None of us want her. I mean, but the fact is, Jesus knows what they're asking. And you remember, he responded in such a way that it, again, it left them speechless. He said, have you not read the scriptures? I mean, that was a surprise. Of course we read the scriptures. But they only believed in the first five books. And they didn't believe in the resurrection. And so what Jesus did to prove the resurrection after he answered their question, he said, he took them to the burning bush passage. Do you remember? And when the Lord appeared to Moses, he said, I am the God of Abraham, of Isaac and Jacob, not I was, meaning they're still alive. There's a resurrection. And they were like, well, no further questions at this time. I mean, there was nothing else that they could say. The word of wisdom, just able to answer spot on in that moment. How about in the book of Acts, in chapter six, when there was a dispute that arose concerning the needs of the widows, the Hellenistic widows on one side, the Hebrew widows on the other side, the Hellenistic widows were not having their needs met, and the Hebrews seemed to be getting special treatment, and so they came to the apostles, and they said, hey, something needs to be done about this, something's wrong, oh, there it is, Acts chapter 6, look at what it says, then the 12 summoned the multitude of disciples, and they said, it's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables, therefore, here's the word of wisdom right here, therefore, brethren, Seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, that we may appoint them over this business. And then it says, we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And notice this. That's just a word of wisdom. That's a, that's a great way to deal with it. And what's the response? It says, the saying pleased the whole multitude. It was the right thing. It was a word from the Lord on how to deal with a difficult situation which could have been very divisive within the early church. A word of wisdom. How does this word of wisdom operate within the church today? I think of many times, just I'll speak personally, when I've been put in situations where I've been asked something about a difficult situation, maybe in a family, maybe in marriage, maybe with a child. And I don't, it's something I don't really... Maybe it's not my expertise. I don't know that I'm an expert in anything, really. But nonetheless, I, that's, that's new. And when you're in that situation and the Lord, it's, it's like the Lord's just giving you the words to say. You don't, it's not coming from you. I mean, it's coming out of your mouth. It's coming into your mind. It's coming out of your mouth. But you just didn't think it up on your own. It's the Holy Spirit giving you wisdom into a situation that you would not normally have wisdom for. It's almost, and it's not like you just tapped into it. It's, it's happening because you walk in the Spirit and you're filled with the Spirit and the gifts are in operation. So often without you even knowing that they're in operation. It's very, we've said it before, it's supernatural, but it's very natural the way it works. It's the word of wisdom. As the Lord, I think, sometimes opens up a particular passage of Scripture, a word of wisdom comes forth. You're in a difficult situation. You don't know how to respond. And God just gives you what you need in that moment. And it's him. It's, it's wisdom. The Bible does say in James chapter 1, and this is, this is what I want to encourage you with tonight. I encourage myself. 
I take hold of this promise right here. It says in James chapter one, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. So listen, if you, you say tonight, I really need wisdom. What do I do? You ask the Lord for wisdom. God, give me a word of wisdom for this situation. Show me what to do. Sometimes that can happen in the moment. It's just right on the spot and you need it right then. And there it is. Other times you're praying through something and God is allowing you to see it from this and then he gives you wisdom on how to handle it. But that word of wisdom, I count on it personally. I, I, don't, I just trust that it's gonna be there because God knows I need it. But then there's something else, the word of knowledge, verse eight. To another, the word of knowledge. Now, this is different. There's the word of wisdom, but here we have the word of knowledge through the same spirit. The word of knowledge is when you have knowledge of a situation or circumstances that you would not have known had the Lord not shown it to you. It's information, again, that is imparted to you. It's supernatural, but it's natural. It's a knowledge of things that we could not know through natural acquisition or study or deduction or our own thought. It is something that just, it just comes from the Lord, the word of knowledge, examples in the Old Testament. I think in 2 Kings chapter 6, when Elisha, the prophet was ministering and there was the king, you remember, of Syria who wanted to ambush Israel. And every time that he went to ambush them, Israel wasn't there. Like, where's Israel? I don't know. They're not here. They were supposed to be here. We were supposed to ambush them. We put it on the calendar. They're not here. Struggling with it. And then they go to another spot. Uh, where's Israel? Why aren't we supposed to ambush them today? They're not here. And every move that the king of Syria made, Israel was not where they were expected to be. And why is that? Well, we come to find out that God had actually given knowledge to Elisha of the enemy's movements before they happened. It says in 2 Kings, tells us that Ben-Hadad, who was the king of Syria, was so frustrated by the fact that he could never ambush Israel. He said, there's got to be, somebody is an informant. Somebody is a traitor among us. Where are they? Let's find them. But he came to find out that Elisha was the one who had given knowledge. And they said to the king, Ben-Hadad, they said, hey, listen, he even tells people what you say in your bedroom. That's a little creepy. I mean, he was given insight into what was going on. Just how would he know that? God told him it. How about the New Testament? I think in John chapter one, as Jesus was assembling his disciples, and he found one, and then another went and found another, and then another went and found another, and they were all just kind of gathering together. And Philip, you remember, went and he found Nathaniel. And he said, Nathaniel, you got it. We found the Messiah. He's from Nazareth. Nathaniel said, Nazareth? He said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It wasn't a nice place to be from. And Philip said, well, come and see. 
And as they were making their way to Jesus, in first, or John chapter 1, verse 47 and 48, says that Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him. And he said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, How did you know me? And remember that he responded. Jesus answered and said, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael said, I mean, he basically says, you're the Messiah. And Jesus said, listen, you think we're just getting started. This is nothing. You're going to see the angels of God ascending and descending. This is just the beginning because I, I, saw, I knew that you were under the fig tree. I mean, it blew his mind. Jesus had this word of knowledge about this guy. There's no deceit in him. And I saw you under the fig tree. I don't know how it works. It's supernatural. How about when Jesus encountered the Samaritan woman? This is unique. He said he had to go through Samaria. And as he was making his way through Samaria, most Jews would avoid Samaria because they hated Samaritans. They were half-breeds to them. They intermarried with other tribes in their deportation. They came back, had their own temple, had their own place of worship. They basically were like, those are the Samaritans. We, don't, we, don't. we will actually travel miles outside of Samaria to avoid going through Samaria. But Jesus says he had to go through Samaria it's interesting also that Jesus sometimes in his stories, in his parables, you know, he'd make the hero the Samaritan. That really bothered the Jews. Just a side note there. But Jesus makes his way through Samaria. And there's one woman at a well. And he sits down, he starts dialoguing with her, talking to her about her life, asks her for water. And you know the whole story, what happened with the woman at the well and how she questioned him, why she would ask. And and then he starts asking her about her life. And Jesus says in, in John chapter 4, verse 17 and 18, he said, uh, the woman answered, he, remember he said, why don't you go call your husband? Remember her response? I have no husband. Here comes the word of knowledge. Jesus said, you've well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands. And the one whom you're with now is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. Uh... Suddenly she became very religious. Well, we worship God over here. You know, suddenly the whole thing changed. But, but it's a, how would you, what do you, where does that come from? It's just, a, it's a word of knowledge. How about Peter in Acts chapter five? Church is getting started. Ananias and Sapphira show up, you remember? They said, man, we want to give this money to the church. We're just so, love the church, man. Here you go, take this. And they, they said they were giving such and such an amount. And you remember what Peter said? Filled with the Holy Spirit. He looked at them, Acts chapter 5, and Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. By the way, make note of that passage. He said, you lied to the Holy Spirit. And then he said, you haven't lied to men, you lied to who? To God. It's a proof text for the deity of the Holy Spirit, by the way. But the point is this. Peter, not knowing anything about the situation, Ananias shows up, gives a donation. I mean, he's excited about it. I mean, that would be great. That would be something you'd be excited about. Wow, someone's donating, helping the cause. Got all these new believers in Jerusalem that need to be provided for. Peter stops him right where he's at sees what's going on really inside his heart and calls him out. I mean, and he actually died on the spot and they dragged him out. And then his wife came in, told the same lie. Peter said, the same guys that just carried your husband out, they're right here to carry you out too. And she died. I mean, the church was being a 
part of the church was, it was, it was something back then. <laughs> it was a big purity to the church, you know? But they, it was just a word of knowledge. How about go a little bit further? You think about Acts chapter 8. Revival breaks out in Samaria. Philip's down there baptizing people. They believe in the Lord. They're, Peter and John come down and they pray over them and they're baptized with the Holy Spirit. And there was one guy there whose name was Simon. And Simon, who was formerly a sorcerer, when he saw Peter and John pray over the people and saw them baptized with the Holy Spirit and the manifestation of that, he said, how much is it going to cost me to get that? Like, I want, I want that trick in my bag because so, that is something. Where do you, how do you guys do that? And Peter, again, full of the Holy Spirit, looks at him in Acts chapter 8, verse 22 to 23, and he says this, repent therefore of your wickedness and pray that God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. Now notice what he says here. Here's the word of knowledge, folks. I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and you are bound in iniquity. Wow, that's harsh. I mean, he just wanted to, the trick. I mean, couldn't you just be a little kinder? No, no, no. There was more to this, this whole thing. This whole thing of him coming out saying, oh, I really, no, Peter said, I see right through that. And with the word of knowledge, he says, you're bitter and you're bound in sin. Whoa. And it was true. How did he know that? It's the word of knowledge. God just gives you that insight. I think of Paul in Acts chapter 27 when he was about to be shipwrecked and all the people that were on board, do you remember? They, were all, they all gave up hope, the Bible says, Acts 27. They were all gonna die and Paul stood up in the midst of that ship that was about to go down and he said this, Acts 27, he said, I urge you to take heart for there will be no loss of life among you but only the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, don't be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar, and indeed God has granted you all these who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men. I believe that, that it will be just as it was told me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. We're all gonna die. Paul stands up and says, we're actually, we're not all gonna die. The Lord just appeared to me. Here's the word of knowledge right here. This is actually what's gonna happen. And it happened. They survived. They lost the ship. But it's just as Paul was told. I think about personal examples in ministry over the years when I have needed the word of knowledge. I remember years ago when I was still pastoring in the Southeast, I was back for a visit. And I remember visiting my folks. I was at their house. They were living there in Santa Ana. And I remember... Pastor Chuck was getting ready for his Sunday evening service. It had been a while since I'd been to a Sunday night service, of course, living out of the state, but I used to go all the time. And so as the service was getting ready to start, I thought, you know what? I think I'm supposed to go there. I just felt, I mean, it'd been a long day, but I just felt like I was supposed to go. I was supposed to go to this service. And, and my wife's like, are you sure? Why don't you stand? We should listen to it on the radio. That's when we used to listen on the radio. I said, no, I think I'm supposed to go. So I got my car and I just, I drove. We were not that far away from the church. And I, 
house I grew up in, I, I just, I drove to the place and as I was pulling in the parking lot, one of my good friends was actually leading worship that night. I was like, oh, this is going to be so cool. This is going to be great, man. It's going to be so good to just sit in the sanctuary again, just hear the word, hear my pastor teach the word. I was just excited about it. You know, it's like, as I got there, I thought, all right, I'm there. Worship was going. I'm listening in the car while I'm pulling up. They're like three songs in. I'm like, I'm going to make it. You know, and I, and I pull the car and I, I go around in the back and I go down and sit there and, and Chuck wasn't there. It was Mike McIntosh, which he's a personal friend. I love the guy. I really want to see my pastor that night. But anyway, and then I was like, oh, man, I should have stayed home. Why, did, why was I here? Lord, man, man, I should have stayed. Ah, you know, and, and I'm sitting there in the back row, kind of bummed, or towards the back anyway. And a few rows up, there was someone I knew. And I'm telling you, I mean, it wasn't audible, but it was definitely from the Lord. The Lord said, that's why you're here tonight. I was like, oh yeah, that's weird. <laughs> really? And so as the service was ending, I went right up, sat down. It's a long story, but I'll make it brief. I, I was there for that reason. I'll never forget, the Lord gave me words of knowledge into the circumstance that I knew nothing about I had no idea what was going on. And the Lord revealed to me exactly what was going on. In the, and it was, it was, again, supernatural, but it was very natural. Just the word of knowledge. I've had other situations where I've been in counseling situations. And again, uh, from time to time, us, past, us pastors that are here, we counsel people. We do our best to counsel people, by the way, from God's word. That's, we're gonna, if you come here for counsel and we're here available for that, we're gonna point you to scripture because this is the answer. And if you think that obeying God's word is um, optional for you, it's really not, we have nothing for you. And so we're gonna point you to scripture. But there have been moments when over the years when people have come in and they say, this is the, thing and this is the problem and, it, and, it's, and it's almost like I have to like, nobody heard that. Did anybody hear that? I, is that just me? The Holy Spirit saying to me or at least saying to me giving me the impression word of knowledge that's what I'm going to say, word of knowledge they're lying. I'm like <laughs> I'm like I can't be that. I mean, they're, they're just looking at me straight and they're telling me they're lying. I'm like Lord I'm like, oh man, if I'm wrong on this, I am wrong. <laughs> and there's been moments where the Lord made it just, and I, I've actually called it out and said, I don't believe you. And here's what I think. And I'm just like, and it's just rolling off. And their eyes are open and my eyes are open. <laughs> and you realize in those moments that's not something you could just, you can't manufacture that. It's something that the Holy Spirit does when the need is there. The word of knowledge. God gives you knowledge. He gives you wisdom because you don't know what to do or, or how to handle it or what's the best. You've never even done this before. I don't know. Lord, help. Help me, God. And I've found that God is faithful to provide those gifts when they're needed 
in the moment they're needed. You know, sometimes, and I'll conclude with this, I think it's important though, let me just say this, sometimes you know, people want to give a sweeping generalization and call it the word of knowledge. I believe here tonight, someone's struggling. I mean, that's, okay, that narrows it down, you know. <laughs> sometimes, you know, it's the word of knowledge. Really? I mean, like we're all struggling, you know, but I mean, it's just, usually it's very specific, you know what I mean? But sometimes it's just a sweeping general. I feel somebody here tonight had a birthday recently, you know, like, Anyways, I'm, but what I'm saying is sometimes it's very specific. But I also want to say this. Sometimes in the church, and again, I, I came out of a church that was born out of revival. Revival. Spiritual revival. A work of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes we, we have moments where we say, okay, now is the time for the gifts of the Spirit. And I, I'm not opposed to that. I'm not opposed to having times when you have believers together. And when we're done going through <laughs> the teaching on the Holy Spirit, we're going to do that. But I feel like I need to give instruction before I get to that. But, but what I'm saying is sometimes we just want to say, okay, now, now is the time for the gifts of the Spirit, right now. And, and there are moments. I, I think that those are significant. We call them afterglows, times when we just wait on the Lord and, and the Lord is speaking and people are using their gifts. But I do not believe that it's limited to those set meetings. Folks, hopefully tonight, as you come in here and you minister to one another, that the gifts of the Spirit are in operation as we are together. That the word of wisdom is and knowledge is coming up in conversation. Somebody you're talking, they do not know anything about anything. What you're, and, and the Lord is just, and you're like, wow, that was interesting. God's using his people. Prayerfully tonight, and I mean prayerfully. You're, hopefully something's happening from here to here that's ministering to you, speaking to you, revealing things to you. I pray for that every single week. And there are things that sometimes will come from our times together in the word, these are, this isn't written down. A lot of it is. I believe the Holy Spirit works in preparation, but he also works in delivery and presentation. And I count on both. But there are things that are said that they're just from the Lord. It's just him. It's just how the Holy Spirit works. It's, it's natural, but it's supernatural. And I'll tell you, there have been moments again when someone will come and say, hey, did my wife talk to you about, about us? No. I don't know anything about your situation. Come on now. Come on now. You said, da, 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 and that is exactly what, blah, blah, blah. Listen, friend, that's the Holy Spirit. And that's just how the Lord works. So, as we go through looking at these gifts, may, may we understand what they are and, and trust that God makes them available when we need them. I just want to walk in the Spirit. What gifts do you have, John? I don't know. I mean, I know a couple of them, but I, I don't know. I think there's just different gifts that are available at different times and, or he brings other people that have that gift that I, I don't have and they're able to use it. And that's the body. The way God designed it. Every part of the body doing what it's created to do. 
There's diversity, but there's also unity. Father, we do thank you tonight that we've had the opportunity at least to have an introduction into the giftings of the Spirit. And Lord, they're supernatural. But Lord, your word says that you desire to give good gifts to your children and we're your children. And Lord, I would ask tonight that if there are those that are saying, God, what what is my gift? What do you want to impart to me? Lord, I pray that you would supernaturally, very naturally, give those gifts, distribute them, Lord. And that we would walk in the Spirit. God, that when we come together, that those gifts would be in operation. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Lord, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, the gift of prophecy. What these things that are such a blessing when they're evident in a healthy body of believers. Lord, may that be the case here. Lord, and may we never use our gifts for our glory, but only for yours. That people would be drawn to Jesus. When they see the gifts on the bride, they would be drawn to the groom, to Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand with us tonight? May the Lord bless you the rest of this week. Keep us in prayer, and I know you will. Those of you men who are part of men's discipleship, it's still happening tomorrow. 6 a.m., we'll be here. Don't be late. I'm just talking to myself. It's a great time. But again, if you need prayer this evening, I encourage you after the service, come forward and have those who are up front pray for you or learn to pray for one another. Learn to pray for one another. The people up front here are not the only people. We don't have a monopoly on the giftings of the Spirit. This is a gifted body of believers. There are people all around you that God might want to use. And sometimes you got to, you know, you develop those relationships and, and, you, and you're able to pray for one another. I'd encourage you to do that. A body that prays together, that's, that's a healthy church body. So may the Lord bless you and keep you this week. Again, we'll be talking Sunday about the great things that God did on Saturday. I'm confident. I'm confident. So why don't we close in a song and we'll send you on your way and um, love you all. God bless you tonight.